So the last thing that I made with my butcher box shipment was aloo chicken, and it turned out really well. One of my favorite things is to get the shipment and then open up the New York Times cooking app and see what I want to create over the next few weeks. It helps my creative cooking chops, and both my wife and I really enjoy it. ButcherBox offers a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing price, plus they have exclusive member deals, and they also have their own recipes, although I am preferential to the New York Times app, but that's just me. And you can sign up today at butcherbox.com conspirituality and get their special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. So for that year, you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com conspirituality and use code conspirituality to choose your free for a year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. Hello, Conspirituality listeners. Uh, Julian Walker here f- with you for this brief, and I'm joined by Eric Garcia. On April 5th, it was reported by CNN and Politico that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. had filed the necessary paperwork to run for the Democratic nomination for President of the United States. A few days later, Kennedy took to Twitter to invite his followers to donate $24 toward his 2024 campaign, which he said would officially announce on April 19th at an event in the Boston Park Plaza. Back in February of 2021, Kennedy's Instagram account was shut down for posting anti-vaccine misinformation. At that time, he had 800,000 followers there and only 200,000 on Twitter, where he now boasts over 900,000. In March of 2021, so a month later, he was identified by the Center for Countering Digital Hate in their Disinformation Dozen report as one of the 12 people collectively responsible for over 60% of anti-vaccine content on social media. Their follow-up report, called Pandemic Profiteers, showed how the anti-vax industry at that time generated over $1 billion for big tech and earned its top influencers, Kennedy among them, at least 36 million collectively a year. But the blue blood son didn't start peddling dangerous pseudoscience during the pandemic. His turn into being a prominent anti-vax activist began in 2005, about 20 years into an accomplished career as an environmental lawyer and an adjunct professor at a New York law school. As with other contrarian influencers riding a pandemic wave of fame and fortune, though, this did lead him to being on stage at a 20,000-strong anti-quarantine rally in Berlin, alongside Holocaust deniers who later tried to storm their capital. It also found him headlining the Defeat the Mandates rally in January of 21 at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., where, Topping a who's who roster of conspiracists and pseudoscience peddlers, he compared those refusing COVID vaccines to Anne Frank escaping the Nazis. And he claimed that Bill Gates had plans to set up an authoritarian technological surveillance state. RFK's vaccine misinformation has led directly to dangerous measles outbreaks in Samoa, Minnesota, and Brooklyn, New York, 
where his children's health defense organization has specifically targeted minority communities with understandable mistrust of the establishment power structure. He's also been a mouthpiece for the discredited CDC whistleblower claim of a cover-up around MMR vaccines being more harmful to black and brown kids. He's recycled the false claims of disgraced former doctor, Andrew Wakefield, the originator of vaccines cause autism allegations, which he later admitted to fabricating, but those still won't go away. So I'm joined today by Eric Michael Garcia. He's the senior Washington correspondent for the British newspaper, The Independent, and the author of the book, We're Not Broken, Changing the Autism Conversation. Eric, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here with you. Uh, all I can say is, wow, this this guy is a potential presidential candidate. Um, yeah. You know, first, as, as an advocate for people with autism, what was your thought on hearing that RFK Jr. had filed the paperwork to run for president? Oh, as an autistic person, it made me want to slam my head against my desk. Um, yeah. You know, um, I think it's important to recognize that he has, from what I understand, correct me wrong, he also has a lot of ties to Steve Bannon, and Steve Bannon has kind of gassed him up, so it doesn't really surprise me that he was doing this. But on top of that, I think it should be noted, um, I should say, his father, Robert F. Kennedy Sr., is one of my political heroes. Yes. Um, and his uncle, Ted, uh, is obviously the co-author, one of the authors, of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Mm. Um, the uh, the Kennedy family obviously had a very disgraceful history with lobotomizing their daughter, Rose Kennedy, I believe, mm -hmm. but then um, became some of the biggest advocates for people with disabilities with the ADA. Robert F. Kennedy Sr., of course, exposed the, uh, the Willowbrook home in the 1960s. So let's start there. That that's why I think it's 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 really um, scary to think. But but I think when I when I think about what when I saw the reaction, it just made me want to shriek internally. And in many ways, what it did is it reminded me of what happens when you let a lie go unchecked for the better part of a decade and a half. Mm -hmm. um, because Andrew Wayfield's study came out in 1998, mm -hmm. and um, it didn't get retracted until 2010, uh, the, the, the Lancet study, and he didn't lose his license until 2010. And all the while, you had a lot of people um, become uh, gain notoriety for promoting this very dangerous idea. And I don't think, and you and I could talk a little bit more about this, it's not a coincidence that his um, activism as a lawyer, as an environmental lawyer, led to him going off the deep end on this. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, I think what you see, so, so I should say, I grew up in Southern California, you know, mm -hmm. um, which I mean, I'm sure your listeners know is kind of like the central hub of these kind of, um, these kind of crunchy people. And I think for a long time, and you and I were discussing this on the phone, uh, they, they, you know, a lot of people thought that they were liberals and they might've been coded as liberal because they were, you know, they had yoga, they wore yoga pants and everything like that. But they were very people who were kind of, I guess you could say your mainstream casual kind of California liberal types, uh, 
who worry about toxins in the environment or worry about uh, very unnatural things entering into our body. These are people who eat vegan, who, who eat vegan or who try to try to return to kind of return to nature as natural. And so it doesn't surprise me that from what I understand, his main argument was the opposition of the addition of the Mirosol into uh, MMR vaccines and mercury mm-hmm. into vaccines. So as a result, it doesn't really surprise me that 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 his origins begin in environmentalism and then um, enter into this unnatural thing that is entering into children's bodies is causing them to be autistic. Yeah, yeah. So if we have uh, if we have toxins in the rivers and like yes. actual legitimate um, pollution that is happening uh, through like big corporations and their their ways of figuring out how to get government yeah. to sign off on them continuing to just, you know, rampage through some sort of uh, uh, environmentally toxic capitalistic uh, strategy, then you can see that the overlap into Oh, what about toxins in the bloodstream? What about yes. you know these unnatural things and and some way that maybe that's also being covered up? So it's from a charitable point of view, it's like okay, he's he's done some good work on the front lines exposing uh, very real problems. Yeah. Uh, but then that is sort of going too far into this more conspiratorial mindset. Exactly. I, I think that's exactly what happens. I think you see a lot of, uh, you, see, you see a lot of this. I mean, I think that you, know, you and I have discussed this. I think that there has always been this, and if I could just put on my political reporter hat on for a little yes. bit, uh, I think that's why you brought me on, is that I think that a lot of people tend to think that, um, oh, the anti-vaccine movement started left and then moved right. And that's somewhat true. You, you always did have some Robert F. Kennedy types, uh, your Dennis Kucinich's and, and, and people like that who, uh, who who were kind of, you know, good government folks who wanted government to oversee the pharmaceutical companies and the pharmaceutical industry and oversee, you know, caring for the environment. But really, um, more than anything, there was always it was always kind of the place where the fringes of both ends of the political spectrum met, really, if, if you think about it. Because uh, the first person who brought uh, Andrew Wakefield to testify before Congress was a guy by the name of Dan Burton, who was the chairman of the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee. And he was the guy who was really promoting um, conspiracy theories about that um, Vincent Foster didn't commit suicide, didn't kill himself, that he was shot by and killed by the Clintons. There was oh. uh, a hearing where like, he shot like a watermelon or a cantaloupe uh, to show that Vincent Foster was murdered. So the, it, it always existed on the fringes of the far left and the far right. It wasn't, it was just that I think that uh, the far left anti-vaxxers tended to have more social capital, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you see, because of the fact that there were a lot of them in Hollywood, and a lot of them in places like California and places like Marin County, uh, places where there were just where, where, where you know the, you know the the masters of the universe live, and yeah, I think and, that, and they were getting a platform on Oprah. Yes, they were getting a platform on Oprah with with, yeah. with Jenny McCarthy uh, yeah. and, and Jim Carrey. Uh, so you had these celebrities, uh, very visible celebrities coming out, and then you have you know you know I think that RFK was very much a part of that, and that you have this scion of you know I'm. I'm liberals most beloved political family uh, talking about uh, these toxins uh you know that that amplified this idea on the left so it it didn't it was always kind of it always existed on different poles Mm -hmm. you know uh i think 
conservatives tended to dislike just dislike the idea of mandates as a whole. Yes, as as an, aff- an affront to libertarian kind of freedom from government. Yeah, as an affront to libertarian ideals, and uh, con- and, and I think liberals it kind of went against it. It, it, it created this very perfect David versus Goliath idea mm. of like the big pharmaceutical corporations are poisoning your children. It, it fit into the liberal schema, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a really good overview. I wanted to loop back around to this piece, if you don't mind, because I, I feel, I feel like there's this really nasty ableist exploitation at the heart of at a heart of a certain kind of anti-vax rhetoric, right? And it, it often gets overshadowed by its scientific dishonesty, the danger that it puts children and babies into because they're not going to get vaccinated against dangerous diseases. But if we go back in time a little to the late 90s, where we were at in terms of making progress scientifically, socially, and culturally around autism, and then what what kind of impact Andrew Wakefield had as well as, you know, those who followed in his footsteps on the lives of people with autism. So I call this, I tend to call this the lost autism decade um, because um, what happened was, in the, it's important to remember until 1980, autism didn't get a separate diagnosis from schizophrenia until 1980, right? So, wow. So... That's important to remember in the DSM. Uh, as I like to joke with a friend of mine who's gay, I say like, yeah, we lived in a world for a long time. There wasn't a separate autism diagnosis in the DSM, but there was homosexuality in the DSM. But um, so so it's important to remember that in 1980, it gets a separate diagnosis. Then, of course, you get things like PDD-NOS, uh, which is pervasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified, I believe. Then you get Asperger syndrome. This is this is what I was diagnosed with the time with at the time in the 1990s. Um, and so. So the, uh, the, the, the diagnostic criteria was changing. And on top of that, um, science was largely binning the idea that uh, autism was caused by unloving parents, which was a thing that was discussed for a long time, up until like the 1970s. Like it was, it was the popular science from like up until the 1970s, really. Which, um, is, which sort of overlaps with every, the way that they ta- thought about schizophrenia in those times, that it was because of having a cold mother or something, right? Yes, 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 exactly, yes. So it's, it's important to recognize that this was the primordial soup. And then mm-hmm. what happened was in 1990, um, as I mentioned uh, Robert F. Kennedy's Uncle Ted helps pass the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, and then there's also another, and I would argue, equally important legislation, which was the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. And that was a reauthorization of uh, the what was then called the Education for Handicapped Children Act. And uh, hold on one second, I'm going to pull it up for you. Uh, there was, uh, when, when, when Congress does these big pieces of legislation, it usually does uh, these kind of concurrent reports that are really, that, that really are telling about what, and because usually, you know, if you read congressional text, usually it's really boring. This is why I didn't go to law school. Um, uh, 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 but, but there's usually a concurring report. And what was interesting was that it said that, uh, was it said, autism has suffered from an historically inaccurate identification with mental illness, unquote. And that the idea of including autism in the IDEA, which is the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, was, quote, meant to establish autism definitively as a developmental disability and not as a form of mental illness, unquote. And so what does that mean? 
what it means is that now autism is included as a covered disability. So therefore, schools have to report the number of autistic students that they serve. So what happened? What happened was we saw an increase in diagnosis because schools had to report the number of students that they mm-hmm. uh, that they had, mm-hmm. um, uh, that the uh, autistic students that they were serving. And unfortunately, I think that what happened, and this is where good intentions can go awry, Uh is that for so long, parents had been blamed for autism and for their Uh children becoming autistic, um, that it gave them an out. It says, no, we're not to blame. It's the doctors who are forcing our children to, to do this. But if you think about it, that increase in diagnosis, yes, diagnoses could have led to us saying, okay, well, we have all these autistic people. How do we serve them? How do we make sure that they go to college? How do we make sure that they live independently? How do they make sure? How do we make sure that they have if they can't live in if they need twenty four hour care? How do we spend the money the right way to make sure that they uh, that they have their lifespan issues uh, that, that they that they can be healthy throughout their lifespan? You know, uh, for a long time the autistic life expectancy rate was around is around thirty four or thirty five. Uh, how do we how do we expand that? All of these questions could have been answered, and instead. Um, the UK and the US largely, but other places moved toward panic. And mm. Andrew Wakefield offered a very, very simplistic answer. And to be clear, that panic is, oh my God, there's this rapid increase in how many kids have yes. autism. How do we explain this, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, there were there were tons of stories in the New York Times. There were stories in CBS. There were there were all these stories about like there's this autism epidemic. That was the uh-huh. discussion. Uh-huh. Um, and and what it said was it was that it was it was that underlying all of it is this idea that autism is bad and autism is to be avoided. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do we fix it? And how do we change it? And I think that you know the the the, the less sinister but still kind of ableist ideas that you have to remember in the 2000s you know so shortly after Andrew Wakefield's um uh proliferation uh there was there was this real movement to promote autism awareness and we're talking in april this is like when autism speaks was started when the autism society when 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 autism awareness month really kicks off uh and then the whole lighted up blue campaign you start seeing puzzle pieces all of this is whether it's anti-vaxxers and we can talk a little bit more about autism speaks and and the anti-vax connection a little bit there Uh, uh 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 and um and the general just idea of curing autism or finding a cure to autism and making that the priority for autism. Mm. Um, those be- that becomes the focus of any kind of autism discussions mm-hmm. rather than how do we, rather than taking, I guess you could say the spirit of the ADA and the spirit of the IDEA and saying, how do we adapt the world to these people? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, it sounds to me like there are these two competing narratives one narrative is saying, oh, it must, th- this, this autism is bad and it must be caused by these environmental factors or, you know, by vaccines. Uh, the other narrative is saying autism is bad. We have to figure out how to, how to cure it because there's, there's all of these kids being di- diagnosed with it. Uh, nowhere in that competition is there anyone saying, uh, the, the, these are people who, who happen, th- their brains happen to develop in this way. How do we, you know, include them in our society. Yeah, no, that wasn't that wasn't even that wasn't even remotely being discussed. At least in the at least on the on the high levels. And and what you saw was, and I read about this in the book, is that um, this reached. You know, uh, the, the point that I make is that um, 
you know, in 2008, it got so high up that both John McCain and Barack Obama talked about vaccines in their speeches, you know, vaccines and autism. And, uh-huh. you know, because like, the, and the point that I wanted to make when I wrote about that was that, you know, I think everybody remembers Donald Trump saying that stuff in 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was very much a preview of his, um, how he would approach the pandemic. But um, so just, just, for McCain, cl- just for clarity, Eric, you're saying uh, Obama and McCain, uh, refuted the link between vaccines and autism they, and Trump. They, they, so, so, like, I, I have it right here. Yeah. Um, so, what was interesting is that uh, so in around 2008, uh, Obama was giving a speech in Pennsylvania where he said, "quote We're seeing just a skyrocketing autism rate. Some people are suspicious that it's connected to advanced vaccines. This person included." And he pointed to someone. At a, at a crowd at a rally. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he says, the science right now is inconclusive, but we have to research it. Then okay. at a rally in Texas, uh, John McCain said it's indisputable that autism is on the rise on children. And we had to go back and forth. And there's strong evidence that it's got something to do with the preservative and the vaccines. You know? Oh, wow. Uh, and, and, you know, it's funny because, I mean, I've, I've you know, I interned for Barack Obama and I I talked to John McCain a few times before he passed away when I, as a reporter, mm-hmm. as a young reporter. Both of them are very smart men. Both of them are very savageable about either men. They're both very honest and honorable and decent mm-hmm. men. John McCain, of mm-hmm. course, a patriot who who broke his body for his country and Barack Obama, the first black president. Um, uh, and, and what that said to me was that this was something that spread to the highest levels, not necessarily out of malice, but that was just the predominant conventional wisdom at the time. And of course, things changed later. Barack Obama, of course, nominated two openly autistic people to serve in his administration. But, you know, that was the, mm-hmm. that, that was the predominant. Okay. So, so I, yeah, I really take your point that this had become so widely propagated that even these two figures who maybe later would have, would have changed their mind or, or maybe did not themselves have sort of anti-vax uh, tendencies had gotten this idea in their head that more research was necessary because, you know, it could be the thumb aerosol. Yeah. Even Senator Tom Harkin, um, you know, the, the other author of the ADA, he, he had, he had, he had, he had, had questions about it later on. I interviewed him for my book and he retracted his ideas. He said that it was, he said that he, that was what he, that was what he was doing at the time, but he, he realizes it was wrong. But, uh, but, but this was just becoming very, it, it had become so ingrained and it had become yeah. so entrenched that uh, even well-meaning, very smart, very wise, very um, credible people were promoting this. Yeah. I mean, that leads us into what I wanted to talk with you about next, because it's kind of you're talking about a period in which we're seeing a preview, right, of what was to come. We're seeing that certain kinds of misinformation can become such a part of the cultural conversation that most people who are not that well informed uh, start to go, well, you know, there's an equivalency there. There's this, there are these people who say the, the evidence says that vaccines are safe, but then I've heard all these other things and, you know, we need to be very careful about this. So I know you do most of your reporting on DC policy and politics. How, how would you contextualize this trend toward increasing mainstreaming of conspiracy theories? Of course, you know, QAnon was the big story for a couple of years there. Anti-vaccine tropes are a big part of it. Um, and then you have all of this like, uh, artificially generated hatred for real public servants like Anthony Fauci. And then you have, you know, stuff like stuff like Stop the Steal, where I think what you have 32% of the population still thinks that the big lie was actually the truth. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that it, it, the anti-vaccine movement, there was an article in the New York Times back in like 2021, which said that like, 
the anti-vaccine movement was waiting for something like this. And I remember mm-hmm. thinking to myself, I remember there was an article in the Washington Post during the early days of the pandemic. Uh, and, and what it did is it made me think like, I was like, oh, no, like, you know, on one end I was, I was hopeful, like a lot of people, that there would be a vaccine soon. And thank God there was a vaccine really soon, um, especially when you consider how long it's taken to approve other vaccines. Yeah. But I remember thinking to myself, reading an article in the Washington Post, and, and I remember sitting down and reading it. I don't remember the exact article, but I remember seeing this. I remember tweeting it out. And I said, I'm worried that the efficiency that this vaccine is being approved at could give credence to these anti-vaxxers. And the reason I had is because at this point I was so deep into researching my book and I was so deep into looking at how these um, charlatans had capitalized off of very real fears um, that I had that, that, that I was like, wait, I understand a little bit, not as well as some other people, but a little bit about how these folks work. And I remember thinking, if they're not care, if public health officials are not careful, if they are not smart about their messaging, this could play directly into the anti-vaxxers' hands. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And part of me thinks that there was nothing they could have done to um, to, to 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 stop it. You know, bad people are going to do what bad things. But other parts of me think, what if we, had, you know, if they had gotten out ahead and said, this is not expediting, this is not, you know, but, but, but this, and, you know, people like Robert F. Kennedy Jr., a lot of other people, uh, Andrew Wakefield, who are now promoting anti-vax ideas, they Del earned Tree. their bones. Yeah, Del Big Tree was, he spoke at a rally in DC literally like the day, I think before or after, or like the day before or the day of at January 6th. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, he didn't speak at the main rally where Trump yeah. spoke, but he spoke yeah. to another one. While the insurrection um, was happening, he was speaking yeah, on a while stage. While the insurrection yeah. was happening, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, it, it, it was the seed, you know. It was that um, kernel, you know. You, you know, it's a very perverse uh, inverse of the faith of a mustard seed, so, mm-hmm. so to speak. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's just this one little thing that allows for all these other lies to to, to blossom. Yeah, I mean, when we talked ahead of time, you you referenced uh, the famous essay on the uh, the paranoid style in American politics, and it seems like you know this has really come home to roost with with not just anti-vax, but but all of these different uh, expressions of that type of conspiracism. Uh, some with some with apocalyptic uh, fundamentalist religious yeah. underpinning, some with new age crunchy granola underpinning. They've, yes. they've all gone from the margins into the mainstream. Tell me your thoughts yes. about that. Yeah, it really worried me because like, when I, you know, about I would say like about a month and a half ago, I was I was at uh, the Conservative Political Action Conference mm-hmm. um, or CPAC, I think mm-hmm. as most people know it. Um, and it was surprising just hearing how many people just outright spouted it like like as it was like it was being flow it flew like it flowed like water. How many people just talked about anti-vaccine rhetoric and you know you you had a whole panel on it about people just dying suddenly about vaccines and you, you know you had Robert Malone uh, on the on the panel. Another person I'm sure your listeners are very oh, yeah. familiar with these days. Uh, he, he was he was there uh, and and, it, and what it said to me, and it was interesting is that I think oddly enough and this is just is that I think that. That um, Trump being so dismissive of public health, 
you know, he wanted to reopen the country as soon as possible. I think what that did is that kind of um, caused the scales to fall off a lot of liberals' eyes on anti-vax stuff. And then they're like, wait, hold on, hold on, you, you know, pump the brakes for a minute. We're supposed to be the, we believe in, science. you know, the, the, the refrain during Trump's presidency was science is real when it comes to climate change and things like that. And the same way, I think that a lot of liberals were kind of like, wait, we should probably put some trust in these vaccines um, because they're, they're, they're very rigorously studied. But, but, but that was... Um, that that but it, but it, but at that point it's just become so rooted and it's very un- hard it's almost impossible i think to untell a story once it's been told mhm mhm yeah and i wanted to say too that this most recent cpac not only did you see that it was just wall to wall conspiracy theories but the wall to wall conspiracy theories in 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 you know keeping with everything that we talk about on our podcast we're only interrupted for endorsements of different products and for, you know, URLs to websites you could go to, to, you know, be part of like basically giving yeah. your money to, to all of the affiliate marketing sort of setups that were already in place. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was very much kind of a tele, it felt very much like uh, Fox News sponsored by HGTV or the Home Shopping Network. It was, it was very much a mix of those two kind of, kind of streams. Um, but, but, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think that it's important to recognize, I think, I think that what, what, what really, I think, ultimately what I said is that, like, I mean, I think that at the same time, and while I don't want to be completely doom and gloom, I think what had happened was that... It, I think a lot about how that affected because now you're seeing this first generation of kids who their parents blame the vaccines growing up. You know, mm-hmm. my parents, you know, I mean, that wasn't something that we really, that thankfully my generation didn't really have, but like, you know, I interviewed one woman uh, or, or no, uh, one non-binary trans mask person. Now they're, they've since come out as trans mask. Um, and they told me that their parents blamed the vaccine for them being autistic, you know, wow, and, yeah. and, that, and that is something that sticks with me because like, think about how many, um, think about how many people like this person, his name is, Aaron, I believe they, their name is pronouns are they, he, uh, his name was, Aaron, their name was Aaron Starr and they were, um, they're autistic. They're like a decade younger than I am. Mm. And think about how many of them had it drilled into their heads that the vaccine made them this way and therefore yeah. their parents blamed themselves. Think about what that does to a teenager's psyche mm-hmm. when you're coming up and when you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're speaking and, and think about how that affects how you view your autism. Yep. How how you view yourself and the way your brain works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I wanted to ask you about that. Your book is titled "We're Not Broken: Changing the Autism Conversation." It was published in August of last year. Uh, yeah. Why did you write this book, and and who is it for? Who are you trying to reach with it? It's. I mean, on one end, it's for everyone. But the mm-hmm. the reason why I started writing it was because. Um, what happened was, if you remember in 2015, there was that measles outbreak at Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the same time, a few months later, uh, Donald Trump took to the stage and they asked him about his old tweets about vaccines and autism. And he said, autism is an epidemic. And he blamed the vaccine. He talked about the vaccines. And then later on, I realized that I, I learned that, you know, the, he was really close with Bob and Katie Wright, uh, with Bob, uh, you know, Bob Wright, of course, the head of NBC Universal and the founder of Autism Speaks. Mm-hmm. Katie Wright, of course, one of the biggest promoters of anti-vaccine rhetoric. I'm sure your listeners know Katie Wright very well. Um, and then what it, you know, what, what it said to me is that, okay, you know, well, the, 
political conversations, again, speaking as a political journalist, they usually began and ended with vaccines. Like for the longest time as a reporter, I would hear any discussion or they would talk about curing. And I, what I would said to me, was like, look, I'm autistic. And, but then also I knew a lot of other autistic people. And I was like, that is so divorced from what autistic people really need. That's not going to help them get a job. That's not going to help them live independently. That's not going to help them live, uh, you know, live a full life. You know, uh, you, you know, one of the things I think about one of the biggest, the biggest killers of, um, Autistic people, I think the biggest killer of autistic people is epilepsy or epileptic seizures, like death from epileptic seizures, I think. Uh-huh. And the biggest killers of autistic people without intellectual disabilities are heart disease and um, suicide. Wow. And I thought, so I thought, you know, all this talk about vaccines is so divorced from what we as autistic people need. Mm-hmm. And so I think what I did is I really just want, I really just wanted to, again, change and reframe the, con- the conversation to say that this is what autistic people say that they need to, to be able to, th- to be able to live. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad that you wrote this book. If, if RFK junior, I should be clear, junior were to read your book, <laughs> What's the one thing you'd most want him to take away from it? I think I'd want him to say that, you know, your your father gave one of my favorite speeches, which is the, the speech after Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination, mm-hmm. uh, where he said, um, let us aspire to do what the Greeks said, to tame the savageness of man and make gentle the life of this world. Um, I have memorized that speech, you know, so much. It's my favorite speech in politics. Um mm-hmm. You know, and it made me believe that, you know, there there's this higher idea of what politics could be, uh, the art of the possible. And um, why do you spend so much time um, promoting really just hate, outright hate about autistic people? Mm-hmm. And why spend that much time doing it instead when you can improve the lives of autistic people and really set out to do what your father Bobby did, your uncle Jack did, and your uncle Ted did. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us, Erica. You're, you're actually joining us from an office that is uh, in in the Capitol complex. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking to you in a phone booth in the Capitol. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Remember, you can join us on Patreon.com for ad-free listening. Uh, bonus episodes, live streams, and behind-the-scenes videos are there, too. And would you please go and pre-order our book, Conspirituality, via the link in the show notes. It helps us to get the word out. And remember, uh, Eric Garcia's book, We Are Not Broken, Changing the Autism Conversation. (laughs) 